The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In today's business world, you need to have a unique edge in order to thrive. Your show host, Lisa Chickles, understands you have to live it to get it. And she is here to give what they couldn't teach you in business school. This is Chat with Chickles, featuring brand champion Lisa Chickles. In this program, you'll hear from the experts who are already making differences in their business while picking up strategies that can help you and your business survive and thrive. Now, here's your host, Lisa Chickles. Welcome. It's so nice to have you here today. I am broadcasting live from Toronto, Canada, and thank you for taking the time to join me for my show on leaders. Are they born or developed? This episode is about how to understand your true leadership style and leverage those insights and that learning to reach your full potential. This is what they couldn't teach you in business school, although I do think Some business schools are starting to add these types of tools to their curriculum, but we're going to take it one step further today and say, then what happens in the real world? When I'm out in the business world and I'm applying these tools, you know, um, all the things that on this show we talk about, you know, you have to live it to get it. So in the past episodes, we've, we've talked a lot about leadership, what it takes to be a good leader and how to lead through change, what it takes to lead a team and leading the implementation of change. Today, we want to chat about assessing our own inherent leadership style. And then, what do we do about it? So our provocative heading, leaders, are they born or developed? What is our inherent leadership style? Is our leadership style predetermined? And then how can we reach our full potential as a leader? Are we limited by these styles? Or are there opportunities to grow and develop? In this episode, we're going to chat about uncovering a leader's inherent style through assessment tools like Myers-Briggs, which you may have heard of, true, or True Colors, or Striving Styles, and, there, and there's lots of others as well. To understand how we, these tools help us to understand how we make decisions and process information. And then we're going to chat about, all right, now that I understand these insights, how do I leverage those to be an effective leader? And as my guest today said to me, effective leadership not only requires us to leverage our innate strengths but also learn to use the less developed aspects of our personality to be completely effective. Otherwise, a leader can, and sometimes unknowingly, create chaos or dysfunction in their organization. We're going to chat about the science behind these personality types. So, you know, bear with us as we, you know, try to describe how our brain actually works uh, without the aids of visuals. And also then look at leadership assessment and tools and the different types of leadership or personality styles, how to tap into the different parts of our brain to ensure that we're using all parts of our brain to reach our full potential. And then, of course, some of the watch out in using these tools, especially if you don't have a lot of experience or you might be applying them incorrectly. So to illustrate this concept, I have a guest with me today, Heather Hilliard. She is co-founder of Striving Styles um, and 
cal- uh, Caliber Leadership Systems. She has over 25 years' experience working with companies in organizational development and change, leadership and team development, succession and selection, performance management and rewards. Her specialty is in driving behavioral change and facilitating the development of high-performance leadership teams and organizations. She's known for guiding clients out of dysfunction, chaos, apathy, and more um, on the way to achieving higher levels of performance and realizing potential at the personal team leader and organizational level. Wanting an answer to the question, why do people behave the way they do, Heather and her business partner created Striving Styles Personality System, excuse me, and authored Who Are You Meant to Be?, which clearly um, explains how our brains are organized and how our innate psychology needs drive our behavior or psychological needs drives our behavior. Heather, thank you so much for being with us today. Lisa, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Heather, we've used a pretty provocative title to introduce our topic today. Can you tell us more about leaders? Are they born or developed? Well, this is one of my favorite questions because the, this idea about whether leaders, particularly great leaders, are born or developed is, is really, I find, a hot-button issue. And it tends to draw um, lines in the sand around two camps. Is, is it about our nature or is it something about how we're nurtured or how we develop that really allows us to transition into being an effective leader? So basically, the question is really trying to understand whether it's our hardwired nature that results in a leader being ready-made or whether it comes from nurturing um, abilities um, and learning uh, new behaviors through experience and development that actually allows us to become effective at leading others. So some of the research that's out there actually suggests that leadership is 30% genetic and 70% a result of lessons learned through life experiences. But I tend to think that that's a little bit overly simplistic way of looking at the question. Because the reality is, is that each of us is born hardwired with a particular leadership style and the potential to be a great leader, but how we lead and the way we show up as leaders is going to be very different uh, depending on our particular hardwired leadership style. And certainly what we do with our own innate potential as leaders is entirely up to us. So what do you mean when you say hardwired leadership style? So what we understand today, which, you know, thanks to all of the the research around neuroscience and brain functioning that's gone on in the last 20 to 25 years, we now understand that each of us is really born with a particular brain organization. So this is basically a preference that we come into the world with in, in terms of how we use the four quadrants or what we call functions of the brain. Um, and each of those brain functions or quadrants has a very specific skill set um, and set of abilities that we can tap into. So our brain organization really determines our hardwired leadership style. So that's kind of our combination of the inherent strengths that we come into the world with. But along with that are certain blind spots and areas that we really must learn and focus on developing in order to achieve our full potential as leaders. So basically, to try and illustrate the point, it's why Hillary Clinton behaves so differently as a politician from her husband, Bill, and also from Donald Trump. And also to go a little bit outside of the political environment, but why Apple's founder, Steve Jobs, and his leadership style differs so much from the Virgin Mobile's kind of out there and in front of everyone style of Richard Branson 
and then going further to Facebook's Zuckerberg, if any of you watched the movie about him and his leadership style. So not only are, is our hardwired leadership defining how we lead, but it also tends to contribute a lot to what it is we choose to create as leaders. Well, you, you talked about this in terms of being the hardwired and the leadership style and that that's coming from our brain. So what do you mean by that? What are those, you know, quadrants in our brain or how is our brain, I guess, organized um, in order to tap into those different leadership styles? It's a great question. And, and it's, it's funny because if you think about it, we probably know more about our digestive system, let's say, then we do know how our brain works. And yet our brain is sort of the command control a station of our bodies and, and how we live out our lives. And so, so the easiest way for me to explain it is, is if you think about dividing your brain into four quadrants, kind of running across the top of your head there. So two of the quadrants for our brain actually reside in what's referred to as the emotional brain. Um, this emotional brain, um, it actually sits in the back of our heads towards our neck. So if you want to think about where that is on your own body, and it's really closely attached to our instinctual brain. And what most people recognize the name of the instinctual brain, this is sort of the brain, part of our brain that determines whether we're going to um, go into a fight, flight, or freeze response. Um, so it is very much about our survival, the instinctual brain. So, so if you think about the back of our brain, the back of our head where our emotional brain is, um, that is the first two quadrants. And the, the right-hand side of the back of our brain is actually focused on uh, talents and abilities that relate to others. So how we bond with people, how we connect with them, how we resolve conflict or communicate, and certainly empathy as part of that. So if you want to think of examples who might be hardwired from a leadership style perspective out of the uh, right emotional brain, we might think of uh, Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King, where their drive as a leader was really about connecting with people and resolving conflict and, and really having a lot of empathy and compassion for the world um, or for people that were struggling in a particular situation. The quadrant on the left-hand side of the back of our brain, so still at the back of our brain, the quadrant on the left is actually used for experiencing our world. So these are talents and abilities associated with precision, uh, mechanics, uh, following order and rules and discipline. So an example of someone who's got a leadership style that's rooted in that particular part of the brain, you might think about leaders in the army like commanders or uh, police officers who make their way up into sergeant and to police chief. So those types of leaders are most likely to use this quadrant for leading because it really is about following the discipline, following the rules, and leading in a very structured, experiential way. So those are the two back quadrants of our brain, and, and the two other quadrants, so sticking with the four quadrants, the two other quadrants reside in what's known as the cerebral or rational brain. That part of the brain sits up front, so think about your forehead. So these two quadrants are really, um, they're, they're more objective in their orientation. The side of the brain on the right uh, is used for interpreting our world. So this is envisioning what's possible. It's about coming up with new ideas and new ways of being and living. It's about anticipating the future. So Hillary, going back to Hillary again, uh, Steve Jobs, and Oprah all actually fall in this camp in terms of their hardwired leadership style. That uh, quadrant on the upper right or the forward right um, is, being, is driving their particular leadership style. 
So the last one, the quadrant on the left, <laughs> keeping that picture in our head of the four quadrants, the quadrant on the left in the upper forehead, basically, not exactly, but close enough, is used for defining our world. So this is about logical analysis, objective decision-making, uh, organizing and structuring. So Donald Trump, uh, and also keeping, keeping with other politicians, George Bush. So if you think of their leadership style, it's very definitive. It's very, um, this is the way it's going to be. This is the way it should be. And they're leading out, and people, people move into following them uh, because they sound so objective and rational in the approach that they put forward. Well, Heather, that's that's great examples, and thank you for walking that through. I'm creating those pictures in my head as you're talking about it. And I assume that since we all don't have the same personality or talents, that we must use these four quadrants, that we must not use these four quadrants in the same way. How, how, how does that work, or how does our brain function um, that kind of brings out those different personality experiences? So you're absolutely right with that. So even though we're all born with the same four quadrants, scientific research has shown us that at the time of our birth, one of these four quadrants is actually neurologically hardwired to be 100 times more efficient so what is, than the other three. So basically what that means is we actually have greater access to the talents in one of these four quadrants. So it makes them really easy for us to use. So if you think about if you know young children who seem to come into the world um, born with a particular set of talents or abilities and they start showing them right away. So this is them working out of their predominant quadrant because because we have more natural um, brain pathways to that quadrant, it, we start to use them very, very quickly. And because we use them and because they're easy for us to use, it's like a muscle and it just strengthens up over time as a result. So some good examples, I think, for that, of course, is Michael Jackson, who from a very early age we saw how talented he was from a musical performance perspective, that ability to create and perform. Uh, and Walter O'Brien, who some of you may know, but not all might recognize the name, but he managed to hack that. I saw at 14, which, you know, again, there's someone who is very much working out of that hardwired uh, innate talent um, from a very, very early age. Well, just before you go on, Heather, I've just noticed that we're coming up on a break. So this is a perfect time. And then we can come back and you can uh, share with us the other parts of the brain and how it all works. Um, So we'll be back in a bit. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Take your business to the next level. Deliver more growth to your bottom line and bring innovation to your organization. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. Lisa Chickles Consulting will work with you to unearth your brand's potential to drive business results. Lisa works with the top brands in the corporate and not-for-profit sectors to develop strategic plans to ensure success. Bring a fresh and original perspective to your business. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. That's LisaChicklesConsulting.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into Chat with Chickles. To reach Lisa and her guest today, please call into 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send Lisa an email to chatwithchickles at rogers.com. Now, back to this week's show. And we're back and we're chatting with Heather Hilliard, co-founder of Caliber Leadership Systems and the Striving Styles Personality System. And our topic of leaders, are they born or developed? Just before the break, Heather was sharing with us, um, you know, how we are hardwired as leaders. And even though, you know, we might all share different personality styles, we, we don't actually all behave in the same way. So why does that happen? And Heather had just finished chatting about um, sort of neurologically how when we're born, you know, the style that becomes predominant and uh, how that can can drive our initial behavior around leadership styles. So, Heather, if you just wanted to continue on there, that would be great. Yes, yeah, so in keeping with this idea that we have four quadrants and one of them is the predominant, so that's the easiest one for us to use, we actually do, there's an order in which we access the other three. And, and so we will have a second quadrant that we're going to use with ease. And the third and fourth are, are more difficult for us because it's harder. We're, again, we're not born with the same level of access to those other two quadrants. And in fact, the one that is our fourth quadrant for us, which and our fourth is always the one that is opposite to our predominant. So if our predominant is the upper um, right or the upper left, sorry, if the predominant is the upper left, because I'm going to give you an example of Trump here, if the predominant is the upper left, then the opposite of that is going to be the lower right. And in the lower right quadrant of our brain is all of the things, uh, talents and abilities that are associated, again, with relationships. So Trump is a really good example of um, this kind of disconnect between our predominant quadrant and our fourth quadrant, and it's that lack of access between those two that can sometimes get us into a lot of trouble um, from a leadership perspective. So Trump is a great example of this on a really large scale because he shows no empathy or tolerance for anyone different. (laughs) So, So that is that absolute lack of development of that fourth quadrant or fourth part of the brain. So from a leadership perspective, it's, you know, he's able to derive a lot of success and a lot of achievement out of his predominant style, but when it comes to his interpersonal connections with people, much more challenging. And so he doesn't hesitate to define how things will be in Trump's world, um, which are, those are very, you know, solid activities for him. So it, it's just important to understand, again, that, that uh, we have our first, uh, that's hardwired for us to have really great access to, but the others are going to be, you know, let become increasingly more challenging right to our fourth one, uh, which is going to be the toughest one for us to access. You know, Heather, is it fair for me to draw an analogy that if I think about my quadrants and kind of, you know, in an organization and a hierarchy that my predominance kind of like my CEO in a way, and then I have like a VP, that's my second and so on. Is that is that a fair way to think about it? Um, it is. It's just when it comes to our fourth, our fourth right. is probably the... Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the best analogy for our fourth. Our fourth is sort of board like of our directors, shadow, maybe? right? <laughs> our board like of it's directors. There, you like... kind of know it's there. It comes out when maybe we don't want it to, and uh, and then it goes away again. 
So, well, and maybe that's our board of directors. But anyway, yeah. so so now knowing that I have four quadrants in my brain and use each one differently based on my own kind of brain organization, how would I find out which is my predominant? So there are many different um, very valid assessments that are available to, to people um, online uh, that are free as well as ones that you can and pay for. Um, and they will provide you with the insight into your brain organization or personality style based on these four brain functions. So the Myers-Briggs type indicator is probably the most widely known and used. It's been around for, I think, over 70 years now. Um, however, there are also other assessments such as DISC, uh, True t- Colors, uh, Young's Typology, and uh, the assessment that we developed the Striving Styles Personality System. So most of the systems that are out there that come up with us that have the four-quadrant model uh, are based on the same underlying theory from Carl Jung, who over 100 years ago proposed that we basically have two ways of making decisions, thinking or feeling, um, or and we have two ways of processing information, our sensing or intuitive functions. Um, and so over the past 20 years, the advances, as I said earlier, in neuroscience and brain imaging have really allowed scientists to prove the validity of Young's theory um, and therefore reinforce the accuracy of these um, self-assessments that are available. Wow, over 100 years ago. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> That's, he must have been really smart. I don't know which part of the brain he was using, but he clearly <laughs> knew what he was the doing. Intuitive. That's the upper right quadrant, yes. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> the envisioning gotcha. something that doesn't exist. Wow, that's amazing. So how is having a knowledge of our brain and how it functions useful for us as a leader? Well, to begin with, um, leadership development always starts from self-awareness. And so before we can actually develop as leaders or improve our effectiveness in any way, we really have to understand where we're coming from in terms of our innate hardwired leadership style. So too often leaders think that if I go and gather information on what effective leadership looks like or, you know, I go read a book or maybe even I go to a training session, that we can simply change our behavior. That that if I just know it, if I just learn it from that knowing perspective, that that would change our behavior. But, of course, if that were true, we would be doing everything we think we should. And since most people don't achieve their New Year's resolutions, we know that that's not actually how we go about changing our behavior. So basically, if I understand my leadership style, I will have an accurate, and accurate being the key word here, assessment of my strengths or what I will naturally excel at. I will also understand my blind spots. So what happens when I use too much of a good thing as a leader in the areas of my greatest development or what we call the areas that are going to trip us up if we don't actually pay attention to them? So so building on your point about uh, trip you up, you had said something to me while we were preparing for today's show um, that if I rely too much or any leader relies too much on their dominant style, it can lead to dysfunction or trip us up. What do you, what do you mean by that? I, I guess I think the best analogy, uh, analogy sorry, would be the expression that if I only had a hammer, then every problem that I encounter becomes a nail. Because, and that's kind of true when we only use our dominant function. It, it does tend to make us very rigid and inflexible because we can only be effective in situations that require me to use the talents and abilities of my predominant function. So let me use Oprah as an example. We've all watched Oprah struggle over the years with her weight. Uh, we've watched her career soar and the, her impact on people grow tremendously. So her success is driven by her predominant function. However, given her innate leadership style, discipline and following routine actually fall in her blind spots or the areas that are going to trip her up. 
while she can delegate these tasks at work to support her success and clearly has done so in order to build the empire that she has built, it's not so easy to do when it comes to following through on diet and exercise routines, which fall more into the personal domain. So with her style, the first thing she will do is drop her self-care disciplines when she is experiencing stress and pushing for growth. So, so it, it is that thing where um, our predominant is going to allow us to be successful, but if we over-rely on that, we see where we can encounter problems. And whether it's in Oprah's case in kind of her self-care disciplines and other people's uh, situations, it may be in their personal lives um, and uh, and so forth. But there's always an aspect of our personality that will, uh, if we're not aware of it and conscious of it and paying attention to it, it will ultimately undermine our success as leaders. So basically, so I, I see what what you're saying, that by not developing or understanding those blind spots or our less developed parts of our brain, I'll say, it can get in the way of our overall success. Can you expand on this by walking us through perhaps an example using maybe one of the leadership styles and how this would sort of play out um, in their role as a leader at work? Sure. I have, I have many clients who are what we call the performer leadership style, um, and this is the style like Oprah that is rooted in that interpreting or intuitive function of the brain. So they're naturally charismatic, entrepreneurial, innovative, very achievement-oriented. And leveraging this, the inherent strengths of that leadership style is what gets them to the top of organizations or even building out successful entrepreneurial ventures on their own. They're so comfortable with change and driving forward that they can actually forget to check that others are following along. And their tendency is to plan inside of their heads, which basically means that if they've decided on a plan, they haven't necessarily bothered to tell anyone, which can create a lot of chaos uh, in their environments around them. But I, I think the best example of this style that I want to share is that they get tripped up because their relating function, so the right emotional quadrant, is undeveloped in them. So when it's undeveloped, what happens for them is they focus excessively on a need to be liked. They want their employees to like them. They want their clients to like them. Um, and they're seeking approval because, the, because of that lack of development. Um, and a, a client of mine uh, that I'm working with right now demonstrated this perfectly. She's a, the expert on her team of peers in change management. She put forward an idea that had a lot of merit. In fact, I would have recommended the same thing to them. But when a few people resisted the idea, she apologized to them. She didn't just, she didn't just say, okay, well, obviously I don't get agreement. She actually apologized for putting the idea forward and not wanting and, and went on to say I didn't really want to upset anybody by putting this. It was just an idea that I had. So actually devaluing her own competence and her own expertise. When I asked her why after the fact, her response was simply she didn't want anyone to think badly of her. So this is where we can really undermine our effectiveness. And this individual's in a leadership role, and you see how she undermined her own effectiveness and how her peers viewed her by the way she allowed the less developed relating function to get in the way there. Um, I think another one that I want to just talk around the performer style because it's, it's one that a lot of people see in the news a lot is that um, for the performer, often they will think the rules don't apply to them. So when they're undeveloped uh, relative to the experiential part of the brain um, or their least developed function. So this can cause this particular leadership style to do things like take money from the company or treat the company's money as though it's their own. They can have affairs or push the boundaries. 
So just thinking of some very public examples, think of the Lehman Brothers and the subprime mortgage crisis, you know, and how the boundaries got pushed there, or even more simply, going back to our political examples, uh, Bill Clinton and Monica. Ah, that's a great, great point. So I think what you're saying is that if I understand my innate leadership style, for example, in this case, as you said, the performer leadership style, I basically have a bit of a roadmap for what I need to do to develop so that I don't get tripped up or create um, chaos unknowingly. Exactly. So so developing leadership capabilities is experiential. So the only way to actually become a more effective leader is to give yourself experiences that push you out of your comfort zone and allow you to build access to the less developed quadrants of your brain so you can actually lead with your whole brain. So achieving our potential as leaders is really about learning to work with our entire brain and the capabilities that are rooted in our whole brain. And it's important for people to understand that if you are not uncomfortable in the development process, you are not actually changing the hardwired patterns in your brain that cause you to lead the way you do today. So, for example, if my predominant brain function is defining or the thinking function um, and my least developed, therefore, would be the relating function, I'm going to struggle with things like interpersonal conflict, empathy, and collaboration, which are all key leadership attributes or characteristics that we assess leaders against. So in practical terms, it means I'm going to avoid situations that involve emotions or make me feel out of control. So as someone in a leadership role, that may actually cause me unconsciously to overpower other people or to be dismissive of my staff when they're struggling. Or I might even get engaged in power struggles with my peers if I don't like the way that they are handling something. Oh, this this is this is great insight into, you know, how understanding our leadership style impacts our behavior in the workplace, but also can impact our ability um, to reach our full potential as leaders. And again, we are coming up on a break, so when we come back, I'm going to ask Heather if she can sort of summarize the different leadership styles and how white how we might be able to recognize them when we're working with people in our team or in our in our organization. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Take your business to the next level. Deliver more growth to your bottom line and bring innovation to your organization. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. Lisa Chickles Consulting will work with you to unearth your brand's potential to drive business results. Lisa works with the top brands in the corporate and not-for-profit sectors to develop strategic plans to ensure success. Bring a fresh and original perspective to your business. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. That's LisaChicklesConsulting.com. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune into Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned into Chat with Chickles. 
To reach Lisa and her guest today, please call into 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send Lisa an email to chatwithchickles at rogers.com. Now, back to this week's show. We are back and we are chatting with Heather Hilliard, an expert in assessing leadership style and how to use these insights to help us develop develop other areas of our brain to reach our full potential. So this is great, Heather. You are really uh, painting a picture of what people can expect from these types of leadership assessments. Is it possible for you to summarize for us, you know, the different styles um, using your own tool um, as, as as a way to share that with us? You had talked about performer, you know, um, and that style and given us some great examples around Oprah. Uh, what are some of the other styles? And then how can I recognize them in people? So, so that's one of the questions we get asked a lot is, is how do I use this to, to sort of be able to interpret what somebody else is? And, and so when we developed the striving styles, uh, we wanted to try and create archetypes. So a way of, of taking these, the assessment and, and turning it into, um, in essence, a, a personality that people could relate to and then it would make it more observable. So the set of uh, behaviors and and in particular the um, emotional need that really drives the behavior behind that particular style. So so each one of our styles has a particular name and a particular need. So the the first style is the leader. Um, we call that the, it's the leader style, and it's driven by a need to be in control. So so they're fairly easy to recognize because they're always looking to assert their authority in a particular situation. We have the intellectual style, which has a need to be knowledgeable, so they're driven by the need to be the expert in whatever it is that they're working within. Performer, of course, we've talked about, but the need behind the behavior of the performer is that need to be recognized, so the drive for the achievement, the drive to be the star. Um, the uh, visionary style, which has the need to be perceptive. So if you think of that as the, they have a need to put the whole um, picture together and to see where this is all going out into the future. And we talked about some examples of those earlier, such as Steve Jobs um, and uh, Bill Gates would be a, another one. So those who can anticipate uh, what, what is possible in the future. We have the socializer style. Um, they have the need to be connected. So the socializer style rooted in our, our relational brain. So their whole drive is around bringing people together, and they're very gifted in their relationships and in communication. The artist with the need to be creative. So going back to, to Michael Jackson, if you think of even not just his music, but even the whole fantasy world he created that he lived out his life in, uh, that's the, the need to be creative at work. Uh, the adventurer, so the need to be spontaneous is what drives the behavior of the adventurer style. Um, so they're more um, risk-taking and, and very versatile. They like a lot of... Um uh, so they have a lot of sort of physical stimulation. So we see a lot of event- adventurers actually playing sports and, uh, you know, doing race cars and, and things like that because they really like that spontaneity of the work. And then the stabilizer. So the stabilizer uh, is driven by a need for security. And probably this style is one uh, that we can recognize most as leaders in our organizations because they're the ones that are most resistant to change. They're the ones that are most likely to say, well, we've never done it like that before. This is the way we've always done it because they want to hold on to their sense of security by continuing to do the things that they've always done the way they've always done them. 
Heather, this has been so enlightening, and I really love these types of tools and your concept of learning to lead with the whole brain. So understanding your predominant style, understanding all quadrants, and then how do I lead with the whole brain? How do I develop those areas, you know, that might be underdeveloped? But are there risks to using these assessments? You know, do some individuals or company use them incorrectly? What's been your experience? Um, well, when I first started out using personality assessments in my work with leaders many, many years ago, it was really common for people to take the information and use it really as a reason for not doing something. And, and even sometimes to go so far as to excuse their bad behavior as a leader saying, oh, not my fault, I can't help myself, I'm an ENTP or, you know, <laughs> I'm a red blue or whatever it was that the assessment they'd gone through. So, so I think it's important to understand that your leadership style is not about setting limits on yourself. And in some of the assessments will actually say to you, you know, just avoid situations that require to use this aspect of your personality. And that's, again, a misuse of the assessment. The intention here is to use it to strengthen our impact and to achieve our potential. So if I go back to my example of the performer leadership style, or Oprah, while we certainly coach them to become more effective at planning and using disciplines, we also strongly encourage them to have a second-in-command to whom they can delegate these activities. So if I understand and accept how my brain works and what this means for me as a leader, then I can make decisions for how I structure my role, my work environment, and my team to support my success. So it's really not an excuse for not being effective. It's just a, a way of understanding how do I need to structure things given my style, given my approach, so that I can be ultimately effective in what I'm trying to do. Now, that's that's great. And it's, it's nice to know that there are times when I can outsource and I don't have to try to figure it out all on my own if I can't do it. So how are these assessments used maybe when we're making hiring decisions? Um, are some leadership styles a better fit for an organization or industry versus others? What's your thoughts on that? So this is one of the questions I get asked all the time. It's like, is one leadership not be- leadership style not better than all the rest of them? And, and should we always hire leader styles into leadership roles? And the answer is no. The, that really, depending on the context in which you are leading, one leadership style may be better suited, and that should be taken into consideration. However, it's never a reason to rule out people with other styles. So when we're helping clients with their recruitment process, we look at what the organization needs, what's going to work well in terms of the team's dynamics, um, and what, what does the function need. So if we're looking to hire someone who's starting up a new function inside of an organization, we probably won't look for a stabilizer leadership style unless that person has actually had that experience in the past because we know that's what they're going to need to be successful. So because we're trying to fit Um, a person into a context and into a role that supports the success of the organization as well as the individual, we do want to consider this information in the assessment process. But then we want to go back to the candidate always and explore with them how have they developed. So even though two people may have the same leadership style, it actually doesn't mean they're equally suited or not suited for a role. Just went through an example with a client of mine right now, and she has two um, leaders reporting into her with the same leadership style, but their behavior is night and day because one of them is coming from a place of self-actualizing, of confidence, of working towards their potential, and the other is coming from a place of being overwhelmed 
anxious and insecure in the new role that he has stepped into. And, and so it, you have to be very careful with this, that you are not um, pigeonholing people based on their leadership style, but again, using it as a tool to help increase your level of understanding and insight so you can make the best choice. Well, I, well I've worked with some people who, you know, are a bit afraid to fill out some of these assessments. You know, they worry that they may not measure up or what if um, they're not what the organization is looking for. Um, how can we overcome this and, and um, you know, how do, how do you help people uh, to see the potential of these tools? So we've certainly over the years come across individuals as we've gone into organizations to do this, individuals who don't want to fill out the assessment. Um, and certain styles, the reality is, is there are certain styles within in these uh, um, in our personality groups that are more afraid or more, maybe not afraid is the right word, but more uncomfortable with the level of disclosure, and it can make them feel very vulnerable through this kind of assessment process, particularly if the results are going to be disclosed to their peers, to their boss. And anyone who has had past experiences of being devalued or judged for how it is they may be different, uh, again, are likely to be more sensitive to exposing themselves through this type of process, particularly if the end result is having to share results with the team. So it can be helpful in those cases to allow them to explore their results independently or ideally with some sort of coach or someone who knows the instrument or the assessment tool um, and can help work them through it without necessarily any commitment yet to sharing it with the broader group until they decide they would like to do so. So basically we're giving them control over the process. And this promise of confidentiality can sometimes help them to move past their fear and while they build tolerance to understanding themselves and confidence in the validity of the assessment. So really being clear on how the information will be used and how it won't be used can also really help those individuals. But it is important to remember, and we sometimes forget this, especially if we're wired towards personal development, um, that many people are actually resistant to their own development and they don't want self-awareness. And, and so um, I remember one individual I was talking to recently, he's having struggles with his teenage daughter, and I said, well, you should have her do the assessment. And he says to me, I don't care what her personality type is, I just want to fix the problem. <laughs> and, and so it was, of course, my, my reaction was sort of like, okay, what do I do with this? now, but but really it's that not everyone wants to move towards their potential. Not everyone is ready to look in the mirror and try and get that level of awareness that an assessment tool like these leadership style ones that we're talking about will give to them. So all we can do is plant the seed, hope that when the time is right for them, they'll consider it. You know, personally, I always find it fascinating that members of my family have never completed our assessment or read our book, <laughs> or even taken advantage of the coaching that I could give them, including some who are struggling in their 20s to really find their way uh, in terms of what they want to do in their career. And I stopped giving unsolicited solicited expert advice to them years ago. So I just remind them that I'm here, and when they're ready, <laughs> they can come take me up on it. Well, Heather, that sounds like a good strategy. Um, and we are coming up on a break. We're uh, coming into our final segment. And when we come back... I want to chat with Heather about, you know, there are just some styles that, you know, might, that I, that my style might react to that maybe kind of get under your skin a little bit, you know, um, so maybe she can help us with a little bit of strategies around that, as well as summarizing some of the key insights that we've chatted about today. Back in a bit. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network 
Take your business to the next level. Deliver more growth to your bottom line and bring innovation to your organization. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. Lisa Chickles Consulting will work with you to unearth your brand's potential to drive business results. Lisa works with the top brands in the corporate and not-for-profit sectors to develop strategic plans to ensure success. Bring a fresh and original perspective to your business. Visit LisaChicklesConsulting.com. That's LisaChicklesConsulting.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into Chat with Chickles. To reach Lisa and her guest today, please call into 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send Lisa an email to chatwithchickles at rogers.com. Now, back to this week's show. We are back and here with uh, Heather Hilliard, co-founder of Caliber Leadership Systems and the Striving Styles Personality System, and our topic of leaders, are they born or developed? Heather has been enlightening us on the insights we can gather through leadership and personality assessments to help us understand our inherent strengths, and then um, to take it one step further and think about how to develop the other parts of our brain or personality so we are leading with the whole brain to reach our full potential. I just love that phrase, leading with the whole brain. Um, so just before we get into summarizing the key insights from today's show, Heather, I wanted to ask you a question. You know, are there certain um, styles that your style or my style might react to um, are more likely to react to or, as I said, might get under your skin or you know, you, you feel like you want to avoid them at all costs, but of course we know that's not the right answer because you told us that earlier. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Is that true? And then what do you do in those situations? Yeah, I think, you know, if I go back to, you know, I was explaining the eight styles that we work with in our model and that each one of them has a particular psychological need. And um, so the folks that we are naturally going to have the most difficulty with are, are those individuals that are going to frustrate our particular need. So, for example, I'm going to use the performer since um, I'm one, and so this is one that's near and dear to my heart, is that um, as a performer I have a need to be recognized and I have a need to, to have that, what I bring to the table, valued and appreciated. And um, so when I'm working with individuals whose self-protective way of interacting with other people is to devalue their expertise or their competence, I'm not more likely to react um, to that situation. So it's not the leader style per se, for example, if it's those that, are, that, that do it, or it's not another style per se, but it's that if in their behavior and in their efforts to be more self-protective, so definitely not working to their potential in this situation, they are going to behave in a way that's devaluing of me, that's just going to push my buttons because my need is to be recognized. Um, and so what helps, though, is to understand that 
Um, it's not about me. I always say this to my mm-hmm. clients, too. It's not about you. It's about them. So their need to devalue me is not about me. It's not because there's something wrong with me. It's because of what they're feeling in that moment and their fear that's triggering their need to try and get back in control in that particular situation. And and so what's really helpful is, is again, with all of these, is we're coming at it from the perspective of understanding. If I understand you and where you're coming from, I can stop reacting to your behavior and make better choices to respond to the situation whether it's a conflict or moving it forward as opposed to necessarily, uh, you know, some of our reactions might be to withdraw or to cut the person off or to avoid them. Um, and so it's just understanding in you what, what, which one of your needs is actually being frustrated by your inter- interactions with these individuals. Um, and then what might you do to solve that particular issue. And sometimes we can't. We can't solve the issue. We simply have to accept this as the reality of the dynamic between us and that individual, uh, and and we'll we'll move on from that. So it's what do we actually need to accomplish, and I recognize I'm not going to get my needs met in this situation, but I can still hold myself to being productive. Again, that's part of working towards our potential and really being able to connect up and use our whole brain in, in challenging conflict-like situations. I just want to give another example to this, but... Um, because this one comes up a lot for people, right? Because we can we characterize it as a personality conflict, particularly mm-hmm. if it's gone on, or we want to assign blame for, for you know, who's done what or who said what. But at the end of the day where um, you, I have this example with one of my clients who's really struggling with uh, her mother-in-law, and it may seem like not a leadership issue, but I think it's relevant because certain um, styles, the socializer style in particular, they lead through relationships. And one of the ways in which they hold power and authority is by manipulating those infor- those relationships. And mm-hmm. so that means that they can, um, when they're coming at, again, that interaction as a leader, and mothers lead, mothers lead in the social world in a very significant way, um, they define the social order or the social norm, it can be quite surprising, especially if you come to situations wanting to be inclusive and wanting to, you know, really feeling like, well, we're all part of the family and none of this really matters. But when others are trying to exercise their own sense of authority and leadership in a way that actually cuts members of the family off. And, and so I think you just, again, it's that, what, it, what, what are they doing? Why are they doing it? How am I reacting to it because it's triggering something in me or frustrating my needs? And then how do I sit down and problem solve the actual issue? Because in those, again, in those scenarios, we get caught up in our emotional reaction to it as opposed to being able to step back and saying, what is the actual issue here? And, and can we problem solve it? And if we can't, what would we like to do about it moving forward? Well, I really loved your point about remembering that it isn't about you, that it's not that they're actually, um, you know, looking at your performance as, you know, if you were a performer, as you were saying, and saying you're not doing a good job, it's it's something within them. It's some, perhaps some insecurity, or as you said, when you're kind of in that self-protective mode. Um, So sometimes just, you know, you know, taking the emotion out of the situation helps us to to address it in a different way, and then it doesn't kind of hit at the core. So, Heather, this has just been a fantastic topic, and I'm just wondering if you can take a few minutes now and just, you know, summarize sort of the key points that you would like people to remember from today's chat. Sure, and I, the, you know, for me, it's always the, um, you know, hitting for everyone some of the things that I think in our journey as leaders and in our journey as humans in terms of developing and achieving our potential, they are things that we sometimes 
forget because it's it's actually developing is not an easy path. Um, and so that's why I think that the um, when we look at this, we really want to think about uh, how do we set a course for ourselves and stay that course. So the first thing is always if we want to develop as a leader, you have to understand your own innate leadership style. So trying to develop as a leader without having completed some sort of assessment process uh, where you really get a, a picture into the things that you know and don't know about yourself um, is critical for us. So self-awareness is always the first and most important. Um, if you skip it, you're going to find yourself getting frustrated and not getting the results that you want because you're going to focus on doing development leadership activities that come naturally for you and not necessarily work on the things that you don't. And too many individuals and organizations actually miss this first step. And, and what the reason I find is that they're afraid that there's going to be resistance from participants or because they don't see the value as they're getting started. But I have to say that not once in my 25 years has a client ever said to me that they regretted completing a leadership style assessment. However, I have had many, many, many wish that they had had the opportunity to do it much earlier in their lives and believe that that would have saved them a whole lot um, Mm -hmm. in their development process. The other thing that I think is important to remember coming out of this conversation today is that development as a leader is a journey. And while there may be lots of things that you think you want to develop based on your leadership style, uh, we as humans can actually only handle changing one behavior at a time. So if you think about New Year's resolutions, because I always like to, to draw this analogy, is this, sometimes we sit down at the beginning of the year and say, you know, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and then by the end of January, we've done nothing. And the reason is, is that the way our brain is organized is that if we put too many things on that to change list, it actually frightens our brain, and so our brain does nothing. And so we end up bailing on what, what it is we said that we were going to do in terms of our own development or in terms of changing whatever aspect it is of our lives that we want to change. So if you pick one and focus on it for 6, 8, 10, 12 weeks, whatever it takes, until you really feel a sense of mastery of it, that's the point at which you can have some confidence that you've actually laid down some new neural pathways. And using the results of your leadership assessment to develop that clear action plan, so what am I going to do or what am I not going to do? What am I going to stop doing? So the biggest mistake that, that leaders make after completing an assessment is actually to forget to do something with the information. They find it really interesting. Wow, that was really insightful. I learned a lot. I had some real ahas. And then it's like, okay, what are you going to do about it? Because if you don't actually go do anything with it, if you don't take action, then knowing is just not enough. As I said earlier in the show, it's, it's actually going and having experience and working through something that allows us to develop as leaders and work towards achieving our potential. Um, and remember, it must make us feel uncomfortable because if you're not feeling uncomfortable, you're actually not uh, creating new pathways in your brain. And it's those new pathways that really allow us to develop up and integrate our whole brain. Another thing, and I got into it a little bit at the end here, but not dismissing the power of emotions uh, behind driving our behavior and the behavior of our employees and our peers. I'm always amazed at the number of people, and I have to admit, up 20 years ago I probably was one as well, um, that really just didn't include emotion in the discussion about what was going on in people's performance or in people's behavior. But the reality is, is that fear is the biggest motivator to our behavior. 
And when it comes to what we want versus what we fear, our behavior is always going to move towards protecting us from what it is that we are afraid of. And as a society, and particularly in organizations, we don't talk about being afraid. Um, And yet it gets triggered, our fear gets triggered in situations at work. And then again, we react emotionally or not necessarily acting out of our best self um, or to our potential um, because we are move, as I said earlier, to that being self more self-protective. So, um, Heather, just to let you know, Heather, sorry, yeah? we just got about 30 seconds. So I know you've okay. got a couple more, but just, just letting you know. Sure. And then I'm going to have to pick. So, and then challenge yourself. So always, I I do find people jump into dismissing the assessment results. Um, I had a conversation with a client the other day who tried to do that. I told her she was avoidant by nature, and she said, no, no, I'm not. And then called me back the next day and said, I can't believe the list of things I've just come up where I've been avoiding having conversations with people. So, so it is, again, it's, this isn't, assessments are not about trying to pigeonhole, but really to learn to understand and then to use that understanding to move, make a path forward for yourself. Heather, that's been great. And thank you so much for joining us today. I just want to give people your contact information. If you, you know, want to know more about this, um, you can email Heather at heather at strivingstyles.com and visit the website at um, whoareyoumeanttobe.com. So, Heather, thank you so much for joining thank us today. You. This has been so um, enlightening and insightful, and hopefully we can all walk away trying to figure out how to work with our whole brain. Thanks so much, Lisa. So thank you all for listening today and joining us on our show. And we will be back again next week where we're going to talk about organizational development and design. Chat with you next week. Thank you for joining us for Chat with Chickles. Please tune in again next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time for another edition with brand expert Lisa Chickles on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk again on the next show.